This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, thanks for being there, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Tuesday. Uh, we have chill camp out stuff. He's going to be here in a matter of moments. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on what's happening at the border uh, as we find out that a Democratic mayor has basically been threatened by the Biden administration not to keep sending illegal immigrants to New York. What a joke that is. And, of course, we'll take your calls uh, and get your emails, briankilmead.com, uh, and then just click on uh, comments, and I'll be able to get them and read them out loud. And if you ever want the podcast, briankilmeadshow.com, uh, and then we'll show you how to get there or wherever you get your podcast. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The people at the border uh, from the DHS are stretched too thin. I think uh, what is anticipated by this surge of resources is most likely the repeal, upcoming repeal of Title 42. I think it's going to be an absolute. We have a disaster down there. I don't know. Maybe they will, but they also have a remain in Mexico now for Venezuelans. So what's going on? That is Matt Whitaker, acting attorney general at one point. Border pressure, not on keeping illegals out, but on Democratic mayors, not sending them to New York. I'm talking about El Paso as we find out more and more illegals are going from the border to the homeless shelters. Isn't that the American dream? Number two. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me of engaging in racism. Yeah, that is uh, J.D. Vance going at it with Tim Ryan to be the next senator from Ohio. And WHIO listeners know all about that. State-by-state debates and more and more as we see the 21 dates, 21 days until Election Day. We have the highlights, the polls, and the issues driving the nation. Number one. The CEOs today are more challenged than I've ever seen this in my 50 years of career. You take every finger you got and you talk about inflation, you talk about supply chain, you talk about labor. Yeah, that's Robert Nardelli. He ran Home Depot and Chrysler, among his many accomplishments. The economic reality for the Biden administration is impossible to ignore and should be for, Amer- and, and should be for all Americans. They are now buying less uh, and have less. If you go to the grocery store, Bloomberg Economist model now sees a 100% chance of a recession within a year. I'll bring you the details. But first, I'll bring in Rachel Campos-Duffy, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend, who's been forced to deal with me for the last two days. <laughs> and you've, have you been complaining to other people? Because I go to the lunchroom and I hear like a buzz. A buzz? Yeah. <laughs> and I go to the water cooler. A lot of people feel as though it's really a burden to work with me. 
Brian likes people to think he's tough, but he's not. He's got a soft center. And he buys coffee, too. So that's always Every other day. Every other day. You and Steve take care of us. I love it. And the thing is, uh, we did not know that you like milk. Yeah. I like a lot of cream in in my coffee. And what do you know about me? Uh, you like very foofy lattes, right. is what I heard, I had, I, <laughs> what I'm, I saw. I'm embarrassed to say peanut butter cup. Yes, I know. Right. I actually thought it was a joke. Right. I thought you were like like trying to pretend like you were beta male in your order, but you actually were drinking this. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. I didn't know you defined your toughness by your drinks. Well, you know, there's foof- I'm a foofy girl drinker, but right. I'm a foofy girl. Right. And uh, yeah, that works for you. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what's happening right now with their economy. I thought Robert Nardelli sits, he's sitting on the sideline now, apolitical, Jamie Dimon, apolitical. When you have Mike Bloomberg, you know, he leans left now, but for he ran and was mayor of New York as a Republican. When these people just look at the numbers, we're in a recession. And the administration keeps denying reality on this. But isn't it funny that corporate America really has gotten behind the Democrats? I mean, the Democrat Party is the party of corporate America, of big banks. I I don't understand why this is happening. But all I can think of is that big government and big business generally like to get together to keep the small startups out. But I don't think this is going to work out for them because the economy is tanking. Every day people are suffering. People aren't going to restaurants anymore. People are cutting back on buying things that they wanted for their homes. Um, it's We're in a recession. And by the way, the, they say the inflation rate is 8%. If you go to the grocery store, it is not 8%. I, I, it's it higher, some, right? It's way higher. And yeah. I know because I go to the grocery store. I feel the pain. And and, and I, I know there are people right now who are choosing between – uh, you know, as Steve said today on the show, uh, you know, filling up their gas tanks, uh, you know, fuel or ga- or food. Um, but it's also medicine for older people yeah. on on fixed incomes. They're having to decide, am I going to heat my home? Am I going to, you know, buy my medication? It's really scary times. Look, there are, t- there are things that sometimes there are tough times. You go, go to war. Sometimes you hit a depression. Things happen. 2008 was a catastrophe that was building up for 25 years. Sometimes things happen. This seems preventable. And there were four. That's I just checked point. before. Fourteen other nations have lower uh, inflation than us. India lower, China lower, Japan lower, and then you ask yourself: France lower, Australia lower, Mexico lower. So ask yourself: um, uh, ask yourself what could we've done to get it lower? Maybe not zero, but what could we've done to get lower? Stop spending like drunken sailors. Number one, and do everything you can to get fuel costs down. Here's Robert Nardelli. Uh, expanded the Chrysler and a Home Depot guy cut six. Well, the one number two in that KPM, uh, KPMG survey, fifty nine percent of the CEOs. I don't care what you hear out there. Fifty nine percent of the people responsible for spending on ESG said they're going to pull back. Yeah, said they're going to pull back. So that's another bolt of reality that we're dealing with. We have we have to go back and recreate the work environment, the can-do attitude, the spirit which got our country to where it was and not dampened by this administration. You know, the first day, the first day uh, of the inauguration, we shut down our independence. We shut down. That's self-inflicted on this country. So you so you want to go electric? Well, the people that are making it say, I can't make it. You know, I, when I was with the CEO of Ford for Fox Nation thing, he made the Ford Lightning. So the Ford Lightning runs great. He said, but I need rare earth. 
I need the lithium, I need the cobalt. We don't have it. So yeah. don't ask me to mass produce these things. And as a government, not tell me how am I going to get this. Congo, controlled by China. China controls China. So we got to go find it. And by the way, you strip a you would to do these strip mines, you literally strip areas of a country. Yeah. And, so that's and, not good for the environment. And you use child slave labor in Africa. This thing is totally unethical to boot. Um, I, I'm so glad you brought up that clip because it's because so, it was what you were saying yesterday. Yeah, it, it is so important because it's it's not just that it was preventable, as you said. I think it's intentional. You cannot cut off American energy and not know this is going to happen, not know that it's going to drive up prices. And by the way, his own Democrat party and and donors were telling him that if you start spending like this, you're going to drive up inflation. Um, But more importantly, I think this ESG component, because corporate America bought into it. Um, They went hook, line and sinker. And it includes, you know, the racial stuff as well. But the climate change stuff is so important. And, yeah, they're paying the price. And they should, by the way. They jumped on board without thinking this through. Right. And to take take oil and gas and energy companies out of people's mutual <sighs> funds and portfolios. Great jobs, yeah, not, not only great jobs, but if you're an investor, you know, whether you're a 401k or you're an individual investor and you say, I want to invest in this company and that company or that mutual fund is not investing in oil and gas company for political reasons, that to me is anti-capitalistic and anti-American. Michael Schellenberger, who's a Democrat, I think has left that party, who's been for, he said, uh, Apocalypse Never, he wrote Mm -hmm. the book Apocalypse Never, said this to Laura last night, cut seven. We're the biggest oil and gas producer in the world. We should be unleashing oil and gas. But Biden has leased fewer acres of of public land and of offshore, um, offshore waters for oil and gas drilling than any president since World War II. It's insane. He's waging war on the oil and gas industry in the United States while begging the Saudis and the Venezuelans to produce more oil, draining our strategic petroleum reserve. This is it's 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 not just it's humiliating what's occurred because, of course, OPEC just rejected Biden's pleas to increase production. But it's also dangerous. We've pushed the Saudis closer to the Russians and to the Chinese. Yeah. And now the Iranians. Yeah. You know, it's not just waging war on, you know, American oil and gas. You're you're waging war on American families. You're waging war on poor people, on working class people, on people on fixed incomes. I don't think we talk enough, Brian, about the cruelty of big green. And that's what it is. It's big green. There's a cottage industry behind it. I like that name. There's yeah, there's a lot of big um, there's a lot of companies, donors who are benefiting from this at the expense of the working class. It's really cruel. And by the way, these policies then end up hurting, you know, the third world. Um, you have famines now uh, because of so many of these policies. So you talked about items being more than 9% uh, for on the whole. All food up 13%. Cereal exactly. and bakery products 16 Dairy 15 Non-alcoholic beverages, and I don't think there should be non-alcoholic beverages, uh, 12%. Fruit and vegetables, 10 Meats, uh, 9%. So go get some meat, everybody. Uh, it's on sale. Eggs are eggs are up. By the way, cereal, you should see me and Sean, like, yell at the kids when they're wasting their cereal. It's like, that's expensive. No, if you're, you well, better eat every bit of that. Now, uh, my parents forgot to check what was actually in cereal in the 70s. <laughs> because it was, it was devoid of uh, nutritional value. <laughs> You as parents, my kids weren't big cereal uh, eaters. Uh-huh. What do you? What's in your house? So only Cheerios, which I'm not even convinced is so great. But and they like the honey nut kind. But that's it. All right. Um, we're pretty. We're and I, we do a lot of oatmeal in our house. Which, by the way, that's that's expensive too. So what I used to do, and by the way, this was bestowed on me by my mom. I would get cereal, 
and if it would make sure to put sugar on it. Oh, yeah. I remember pu- putting sugar in. My, I would never let my kids do that. Right. That's like a of 70s course. thing. If you grew up in the 70s, you did that. Right. Like, why do, Why did we have less diabetes then? It you seems know, like. You know why? I'll, why? I'll tell you why. We did not have phones. We actually went out and played off that sugar. Oh, yeah. We ran yeah, it off. We ran it off. And we had the energy. Yes. Okay. The 80s were a good time. They really were. I think so. 70s and 80s. That was a good time. I'm trying to think. Uh, for me, since I'm older than you, it means high You're school. Not- you're not that much older than me. I think I am. Uh, what year did you graduate? High school? Yeah. 82. Okay, yeah, you're a little older than me. You look it, good, Brian. Thank you. Wow. I'm usually, I'm I'm, I thought we were I, the same age. You know, <laughs> I, I have two things to tell you. Number okay. one, my latte, I take peanut butter, peanut butter cup. <laughs> and number two, I'm, I'm wearing makeup. So, <laughs> and, this, and what's the second one? I'm wearing makeup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you married a guy that's all man. He wears flannel. He's a lumberjack, right? Yeah, but he wears makeup now, too. <laughs> oh, that's true. All right. So we domesticated him. Uh, all right. Can I just tell you? Yeah. One time he was in the – we were, you know, together in, in our bedroom. He's like, have you seen my powder? I'm like, things I never thought <laughs> would happen <laughs> right. in our marriage when we first got married and used to chop wood in our home. <laughs> well, I mean, my kids were found out early on. I think my whole life I've been on Fo- – their whole lives I've been on Fox. So they used to – Dad's makeup everywhere. Dad, your makeup's all over the towel. <laughs> and I'm like, please yes. don't say that to That's other so people. That's so true, the makeup on the towel. It's yeah. a little strange. Yeah. Well, David Beckham tried to launch a line of male makeup just for people who want to go out. Yeah. Didn't work. I don't think America's ready for that. Oh, I think America's well on the path to that really? point. <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're in a different America. New Jersey. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I just think that this whole blurring of the genders is happening. We're on that path. Um, you know, I'm not supposed to be a mother. I'm a birthing person, and anyone can be. Yeah, come on. You know this is happening here. I'm going to find out because I always I felt very comfortable calling you a birthing person. It just seemed it just you, rolls off the you tongue. You could launch a makeup line. Um, maybe we should do that in the break. <laughs> I'm going to hey, first. I'm going to start with rouge and then <laughs> see where we go. Uh, I finally, I want to give seventies term for blush. I want to give. Oh well, yeah, I want to give is America. Aging. Is it? Yeah, yeah, that term is. So aging. I have old makeup terms. I don't, <laughs> We're going to have to update this. We're going to have to take a tour of Sephora together, Brian. Sounds good. Back in a moment. <laughs> Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is disgusting. I'd like to get here's exactly what happens 
when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great, great replacement theory, I'll tell you, you exactly, peddling it. I'll tell you you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the, the country without being a racist. And this just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. And that's a little bit about the debate, um, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy, a little bit about the debate uh, between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. It's Tim Ryan coming out as a reasonable moderate against J.D. Vance, who they want to say is an extreme Trump disciple who used to not like Trump. So that's why it's a two or three point race. Trump won this easily and Portman won by eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Tim Ryan voted with Nancy Pelosi 96 percent of the time. So this idea that he's some sort of working class guy like who cares about the working class is so not true. And J.D. Vance, yeah, he's made a lot of money. He's been in the finance world, but he comes from there. And that's the thing. You know, I come from a working class family, too. And, you know, obviously I'm doing better than my dad was doing when, you know, he started. But those values that you have. Just because you make money, you don't lose those values, especially if you come from a town like a uh, a steel town like J.D. Vance comes from. I think this point also that he's making, they're trying to say, look, you're doing this replacement theory, um, you know, this racial replacement theory. You're, you're accusing the Biden administration of opening the border and trying to change the demographic of America. And I, I mean, why are they opening the border? And by the way, it, it's not about race. It's about votes, right? They want to bring in more people that they think will vote Democrat. And the proof of this is that they're now sifting through those coming across the border. and They're finding those who are most likely to be anti-socialist and sending them back. So they were against – the Biden administration was against Title 24. Venezuelans. Yes, yeah. They're Cuba. taking Venezuelans and Cubans and saying – and they're sifting through the brown people to get out anyone who's anti-communist or anti-socialist. That's fascinating. Now who's playing the game? I never thought about that. Yeah. In Washington, D.C., they're thinking about uh, allowing non-citizens to vote, even illegal immigrants to vote. And as people have speculated that this is going to blow up on the Democrats because it's exactly what Republicans are saying. Yeah. Come here illegally and vote. And they'll say, of course you can't vote until you're a citizen. And they'll say, well, they tried it in New York and that stopped. The court stopped it. And hopefully the courts will stop that again. It seems you know, kind of easy. You know, Brian, it's interesting. When we were talking about ESG, we talked about all the people who are financially benefiting from, you know, the ESG climate, you know, what I call big green, right? The same thing here. There's also big immigration. There's a, There are these nonprofits that are making millions and millions of dollars from taxpayers um, and also from George Soros. Right. And they're driving the policy. And when you talk to the, you know, Tom Homan and those type of people and you ask them, what's really driving this? Yeah, it's, you know, their ideology. And yes, it is about votes, but there's also a money component. There's a lot of nonprofits and the Catholic Church. You and I have talked about this, too. The Lutheran Church, a lot of people making money off of illegal immigration. Oh, yeah. Catholic Charities. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable. I, I the NGOs get, get big checks. 45 seconds left. James Corden, the only guy I like in late night, got banned temporarily from an upscale <laughs> New York City restaurant because he was obnoxious. They say as obnoxious as anyone they've ever had. So he's banned from a place called Balasar. Balasar. Balasar, where all celebrities go. Mm-hmm. Corden, a hugely gifted comedian, but a tiny uh, cretin of a man, uh, <laughs> according to the owner, and the most abusive customer. 
to my ballot source that ballot source servers have ever had in his 25 years. How abusive and rude must you be that in New York City you're the most abusive and rude person ever? I love that this guy out of Are you going to join me December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey? I believe so. Are, Are you, you inviting be on me? Stage? You kind of invited me. You uninvited me. You well, invited me again. Well, I have to sign again. you to a, until I sign your contract. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The people at the border uh, from the DHS are stretched too thin. They can't do all the work that needs to be done. And my understanding and talking to some of the folks down there is they're taking people off of uh, inspecting anything but uh, packages or, or other things coming across the border just so they can deal with the migrants that are coming across the border. And I think uh, mm-hmm. what is anticipated by this surge of resources is most likely the repeal, upcoming repeal of Title 42. I think it's going to be an absolute, we have a disaster down there. I don't think there's yeah. a word in the English language that can accomplish what's going to happen after they repeal Title 42. And, and that is Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general. At one point, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West joins us. Colonel, uh, in El Paso, there's a Democratic mayor who have sent more people to Chicago and New York than Governor Abbott. And now it turns out, uh, it is revealed, according to sources, he's been pressured by the Biden administration to not declare El Paso, Texas, a emergency. And they'll be reimbursed if he just leaves people there and stops shipping them to New York. At least three of El Paso's city council, eight members of the eight, have urged Mayor uh, Lesser to issue an emergency declaration. And he won't. And he told friends. During a private conversation last month, they've been directed otherwise by the Biden administration. Do you do? What is your reaction to this story, and can you expand on it? Well, that tells you everything that you need to know about the Biden administration. It's good to be with you, Brian. And the other thing that's interesting is that you have the Department of Justice opening up an investigation on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for 50 illegal immigrants going to Martha's Vineyards. We're talking about thousands that have been sent out of El Paso going up to New York, Chicago. And so is there going to be an investigation on the Democrat mayor there? But just the same as we saw the Biden administration asked the Saudis to uh, not, you know, reduce their oil uh, output until after the election. That's what this is about. They're just playing politics. They really don't care about what's happening on this border. They really don't care about what's happening in El Paso or anywhere in the United States of America, especially here in Texas. And if you just think about the fact that the fentanyl deaths that we have seen in the Biden administration is greater than the amount of soldiers, uh, military members that lost their lives in the Korean and Vietnam Wars combined. This is this is a war that is going on. And the fact that we have China shipping fentanyl into Mexico and the cartels refining it and bringing it across to poison our people and the fact that we have this huge flood and now we find out about this memo or this note at the Department of Defense wanting, you know, members of the Department of Defense to come down and basically be a maid service for illegal immigrants. This is unbelievable what's happening. I know. Now you have, uh, you have I guess you know him, Tony Gonzalez, a Republican, whose district covers the rural areas there in the border towns near El Paso, also said he's heard similar accounts from the Biden administration. So rather than solve the problem, they wanted to silence the politician. And now they said they're going to maybe stop sending people to New York. 
Do you know what they're doing? They come to New York, the sanctuary city. Now they can't say anything because they look like hypocrites. And now they say that 66 percent, excuse me, 76 percent go into the shelters. So the shelters are already overcrowded well, in New York City. Now they have illegal immigrants there. And a lot of them are families. They don't belong in a shelter system. It's terrible. They got no jobs. Some of the kids get to school. Uh, most of them don't have anything to eat. So it's just a lose-lose situation. How is he getting away with this? Because according to Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, and the White House Press Secretary, the border is secure. And everything is fine on the border. And we continue to have a very complicit propagandist leftist media that is allowing them to get away with that lie and, and that delusion. But yet, I think you're starting to see that this is one of the critical issues for the American people now as they get ready to head to the polls here pretty soon for the midterm election. So they're getting away with it because people are allowing them, especially in the media, to get away with it. But you cannot, uh, you know, distrust your, your eyes and what you see and the videos that are coming out uh, because everyone is going down there and, and seeing what is happening. And all you have to do is talk to any person that lives in a border county here in Texas, and they'll tell you exactly what is happening. So it's interesting, too, on a side note, Chris Magnus is the CBP commissioner. Politico has this story today uh, that he keeps falling asleep in meetings, that he's unengaged in yeah. the job, that he doesn't attend White House meetings at all on the border, badmouths other agencies and colleagues and superiors, and has not built relationships within the CBP and across other agencies. He, fell, he falls asleep during multiple meetings, including one earlier this year, on how to handle the current swell of Venezuelans crossing into the border. So he's got, they got corrupt people, bad people, and disinterested people. No wonder momentum is switching Republicans' way. What is happening in Texas? With well, the it sounds like you got the seven you got the seven dwarfs up there with the border patrol. You got Sleepy, Doopy, and uh, Dopey, and and everybody else. Uh, what is happening down here in Texas is that people are just trying to hang on. You've had now, I believe, forty counties here in Texas have declared uh, this to be an invasion. They're they're falling back on the definition coming out of Article Four, Section Four of the Constitution. But, again, we're not getting the assistance that we need. Uh, the Border Patrol agents down there are being pulled off uh, from what their normal duties would be. We've got outposts that have uh, checkpoints that have no one manning them because the cartels are very smart. They're flooding us with all of these, you know, families, quote-unquote families. And I would say we need to do the immediate DNA testing to really verify the, these are families. And, and so that's tying up the resources. And so what do they do on the other side? The single military age males, the drugs, the, the sex trafficking, human trafficking, that's what we're missing. That's what we're not on top on. So they have flooded the zone, if I can use kind of a, a basketball, a football term. They flooded the zone, and they are overtaxing our resources. And since you got Sleepy up there as the head of C. BP, he's not paying attention and he doesn't know how to reallocate resources properly. Here's what Fox News did a poll and say, what matters to you? What is that extremely or very concerned about? 89% said inflation. Uh, 79% said crime. Three, uh, 74% said political divisions. And the 73% Russia, Ukraine. And what is taught in school, 72%. And abortion, 71%. Out of all them, the major issues that concern Democrats... Looks like it's seventh. Gun laws, 69 percent. Border security, 67 percent. Climate change, 
is 11th. So the Democrats, with 21 days left, can't say that they're playing a strong hand right now. No, they're not. And as a matter of fact, what have you seen recently? You just saw uh, Barack Obama come out and chastise the Democrats and tell them to stop talking about Donald Trump so much. And you have even had Bernie Sanders come out and say, back off of this whole abortion issue. This is not the issue that we should be hanging our hats on. So really what has happened for the Democrats, they have nowhere to go. They have no messaging whatsoever. They can't talk about economic security when you look at inflation. They cannot talk about energy security when you look at gas prices are going back up. And now uh, Joe Biden is talking about releasing more barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is not meant to uh, cover his failing uh, energy policies. It's meant for us when we have a, a true emergency. They can't talk about border security. They can't talk about national security. They can't talk about foreign policy. They can't talk about domestic security, what's going on in the streets. They can't talk about education, education freedom, or, uh, you know, school choice because of what's happening in the school systems. They've got nowhere to go. And so I think it's going to be a disastrous night for them uh, coming up here on November the 8th. Possibly, but don't worry. They have an explanation for the inflation, which has us 14th. Uh, in the world, the four, uh, we have 14th from the top. You know who's ahead of us? Australia, China, Japan, India, uh, uh, France, all have lower inflation rates than we do. Here's the president on what's going on about with all his policies. Why don't they seem to be working? Karine Jean-Pierre is at the helm. Cut to. Have the president's economic advisors told him that the general consensus now is that the American Rescue Plan has contributed to inflation? Here's the thing. What the president has done, the issues that he has worked on, when you think about Medicare, we think about health care, you think about energy costs, you think about Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you think about the CHIPS Act, they are popular. They are popular with the American people. There's always more work to be done. But we are making, we are taking the steps to do that. Again, congressional Republicans, they are doing nothing, absolutely nothing. Doing nothing would help. Uh, all this spending is killing us. $3.7 since he took office. Do you feel better now that she explained? Uh, no, of course not. And, and I tell you, I never think I thought I would say this, but, you know, it'd be nice to have Jen Psaki back. But when you think about the CHIPS Act, if you were to go out and ask the American people what's the CHIPS Act, people have no clue. So how can she say that people are satisfied with that? That was inside baseball. That, you know, really, you know, assisted a certain segment of the of the economy industry and really, really benefited China. And so nothing that they're doing is working. And two of the worst things that you could do when you're in an inflationary period is to increase government spending and talk about raising taxes, which is exactly the two things that they're talking about doing. And so now you have a Federal Reserve that's trying to cover the mistakes, economic and fiscal failures of the Biden administration by raising these interest rates. And look what's happening with the, uh, the housing industry now. I mean, it is, it is stagnant because these high interest rates uh, and mortgages and things that is on mortgages, people aren't going out there and buying homes, and people definitely are selling the homes because they are worried about trying to buy one, and even with new car sales because of the interest rates there. So this is just, like I said, catastrophic all the way around, and no one is believing the uh, the lies and the delusion that Karine Jean-Pierre is trying to, uh, to give us. Give us an idea, lastly, what's happened with the governor's race, Beto O'Rourke, 
I know he left the trail for a little bit of a while. I don't see much about him now. Governor Adams kind of have a lower profile, national profile. But what's happening inside Texas? How close is that race? You know, there there is a little bit more uh, of enthusiasm with Robert Francis O'Rourke. I mean, you see a lot more of his signs and everything that are out there, but I still think that Governor Abbott will pull through, but it's going to be closer than a lot of people would uh, deem comfortable, uh, would want to see this race. It's not going to be some big 15 to 20-point victory. I think it'll be something less than 10%. Wow, that'll be different, and that'll give the Democrats hope that they can finally switch it blue. Uh, if that indeed happens. But we'll see. Uh, Alan West, thanks so much, Colonel. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Take care, man. Yep, Executive Director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. When we come back, I'll take your calls. First time today, one 408 Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. My question for Ms. Abrams tonight is how many Democrat or how many sheriffs statewide have publicly endorsed your campaign? Mr. Kemp, what you are attempting to do is continue the lie that you've told so many times. I think you believe it's the truth. I support law enforcement and did so for 11 years, worked closely with the Sheriff's Association. I'm probably the only person standing here who's ever actually written a, a SOP for police department when I was working for the city of Atlanta. Ms. Abrams refused to answer the question, so I'll let you know that the answer is zero. No sheriffs are endorsing her statewide because of her stances on wanting to defund the police. And uh, that is Brian Kemp feeling good about where he is right now because he's got four years to run on. Uh, Stacey Abrams, an up-and-coming star in the Democratic side, certainly bright, uh, experienced, and talented, uh, just is not on the right side of the issues. If Black Lives Matter was raging and it was good to and it was a positive thing to tear down cops and tear down cities, she'd be winning. But it isn't, and it never was, and never should have been anyway. And I was at an event with Herschel Walker, and they was he was addressing about 250 sheriffs. And I can't tell you, they Stacey Abrams spoke first, and he doesn't need a script. Very as I mentioned, really appreciate it as a communicator. However. She doesn't have a positive message to law enforcement. No one is buying it. They all came up to me while she was talking, and it was getting a little embarrassing, saying we don't believe a word she says. She is against us. She works against us. She'd be a nightmare for us. They were saying it in full voice to me, and I don't think she had any support in the room. She spoke to the sheriff. She needs some support. She's maybe hoping to uh, win over some, but for the most part, the biggest problem is not enough cops. And many, uh, I think, understand there was only one party tearing them down, the retired and active, uh, making their families and making their job harder to do and painting them as uh, racist and terrorists who love beating up on people. But Brian Kemp evidently did well in that debate. Uh, Again, she has to close about an eight point gap. More from Kemp. Cut nine. We're going after the people that are doing these gun related crimes. I mean, and that's what we're doing, going after uh, street gangs in this regard. And my new public safety plan is stiffening penalties for gang uh, gang members that are recruiting our children. And I believe that most Georgians support that. And I'm committed to working with all law enforcement to make a dent there. So he was saying that here's Stacey Abrams coming back at him on crime. Cut 11. 
This is a governor who, for the last four years, has beat his chest but delivered very little for most Georgians. He has weakened gun laws and flooded our streets. He has weakened our privacy rights and our and women's rights. He has denied women the access to reproductive care. The most dangerous thing facing Georgia is four more years of Brian Kemp. We'll see. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what the net with the country saying. In almost every poll, it's the same. Inflation's number one. Number two, crime rates. That doesn't say crack down on bad cops. It says crime rates. Not my. This is my priorities too, by the way. Political divisions. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem. But if you're going to continue to destroy the oil and gas industry, pretend as if ESG has arrived, uh, allow to make a reestablished relationship with Venezuela, leave Afghanistan the embarrassing way you did, uh, continuing to give way too slow the Ukrainians the missile defense and the armaments they need to be successful. Uh, in a slow pad, uh, in a slow fashion, if you continue to allow China to make gains, our military to dissolve, twenty thousand uh, uh, military officers told to quit, or military members told to quit because they're not vaccinated, that's a division. I have nothing against Democrats, but those things, I am not negotiating. We go on. Russia, Ukraine is another major concern. Some people are concerned that we're there at all. I respect that. That's debatable. I'll, I'll have that debate. What's taught in schools shouldn't. Subtleties and approach and methods, yeah. But curriculum, I think we got to agree on roughly the same thing. Now, in Texas, you want to talk more about Texas history as opposed to Virginia, talk more about Virginia history. And New Mexico, talk about New Mexico. I get it. But you should be talking American history. We should understand it. Don't whitewash it. Say it. Abortion is now eighth. Gun laws right after that. But I have to say, and I know many people are not with me on this, I am not against what Senator Cornyn did with Democrats on a compromised gun bill because basically they left it up to states. If you want to do, uh, you know, if you want to talk about red flag laws, you'll get this type of support. And this is the criteria. Some are way too aggressive with red flag laws. You'll have to back that off. Some have none. You, if you want some money, you'll have to put that in. And I was talking about red flag laws, for example, when we know about the shooter in Buffalo ahead of time, but they didn't act because he was under 18 and they wiped out his uh, they wiped out his background. But when you see what's happening with the Orlando shooter that's finally on trial, sadly, he's going to live all this stuff. People identify, but they couldn't act because they were minors. Some of those things after that border security, I would have that fourth or third or second or first election fraud, the coronavirus pandemic. I'm still angered by the way we handle that in so many ways. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be on stage. Don't forget, especially KRMG listeners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. So glad you're here. I'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney at about 45 after. John McLaughlin, CEO and partner of McLaughlin Associates, longtime respected poster of Donald Trump, will be with us shortly. Uh, Donald Trump loves his polls, and we do too. He always provides insight 21 days until 
we have our midterm elections. Just a quick reminder, coming up on December 2nd, Newark, New Jersey, I'll be on stage talking about uh, what made America great. I'll be with Fox Nation. We'll be televising that one, too, and be part of it in the arena. It's like no other. Have a chance to move through the history books uh, and just talk about American history from 1776, 1916, 19, and be able to take your calls. And it's a lot of fun, probably the most fun uh, I will have as much as I love radio. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The people at the border uh, from the DHS are stretched too thin. I think uh, what is anticipated by this surge of resources is most likely the repeal, upcoming repeal of Title 42. I think it's going to be an absolute, we have a disaster down there. It's going to get worse. Border pressure, not on keeping illegals out, but on the El Paso mayor, the Democrat, for shipping them out to New York and not declaring a state of emergency. We'll discuss the pressure the Biden administration is putting on Democratic border mayors. Number two. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me of engaging in racism. Uh, Which I think is a stretch, to say the least. J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan going at it. State-by-state debates and more as we look at the polls 21 days till Election Day. We got the highlights and more. Number one. The CEOs today are more challenged than I've ever seen this in my 50 years of career. You take every finger you got and you talk about inflation, you talk about supply chain, you talk about labor. Uh, That is Robert Nardelli, uh, one of the most respected CEOs in the country. Chrysler and Home Depot, amongst the many companies that he ran. Economic reality. For the Biden administration, it's impossible to ignore and should be for Americans, too, as they are now buying less uh, at the grocery store. And Bloomberg Economist's model now sees a 100 percent chance of recession within a year. What does that mean for the midterm elections and for you? Let's discuss with John McLaughlin. John, welcome back. Uh, It's great to be back. Hey, John, what's changed since July of this summer as we're now three weeks from Election Day? Well, I think the big thing is inflation is, is continuing to surge. And, and we, we have a new national poll that's coming out today where in August we had the generic vote for Congress type, 45-45. And then last month it was 48 Republican, 44 Democrat. This month it's 49 Republican as of today. Wow. 49 Republican, 43 Democrat. And what it is is 65 percent of the voters say the country's on the wrong track. Uh, among those who say it's on the wrong track, two-thirds, 67% are blaming Joe Biden. Uh, they they see economy, uh, the top issue is economics. It's 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 uh, 48%, you know, related to inflation, economy, spending, taxes, only 6% abortion. And you also have a national crime wave. I mean, you and I both live in New York. Yeah. And uh, uh, Lee Zeldin is in single digits of Kathy Hochul, where you can discount the uh, Siena poll that's an outlier. I mean, I'm a partisan, and I'm, I, I work for Lee Zeldin. So I'm a partisan, and I make full disclosure. I work for Trump. I work for Pete King. I work for Lee Zeldin. But still, the numbers are the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. But like the Siena poll that came out today, you know, I, they, I know their spokesman is a Democrat and all that kind of stuff, but – um, they had us at 17 last time, you know, down. It was wrong. This is 11. Trafalgar has within two. Maris has us within eight. Uh, Doug Schoen, who's a Democrat, has us down six, 50 to 44. And the Siena poll comes out to try to keep her up double digits. 63% of their poll is over 55. I don't know why it's skewed like that. Also, they have this inconsistencies in the polling that 20% of the 
African-American voters disapprove of Kathy Hochul, which we're seeing because crime's the top issue. And she's still winning their vote, 92 to 2. That's not right. And, uh, you know, 39% say the state's on the right direction. The rest say wrong track. And she's got a 52 job approval. It differs differently with the Zeldin polls, where we believe it's a single-digit race, very close, and Lee's closing very quickly. So, uh, so that's. But that's. What does it take to close the rest of the way? I want you to hear Lee Zeldin yesterday with Jesse. Cut 23. From the economic standpoint, people are just struggling to afford to survive. You could, you know, they increase your taxes more in New York, and New Yorkers are deciding even if they can afford to pay it. You know what? Maybe I'll just head to this other state where they're not charging income tax. There's so many different reasons why New Yorkers feel like uh, they're at a breaking point. Uh, New York leads the entire nation in population loss. And whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Red County, Blue County, it does not matter. People realize we have to save our state. In order to do that, this corrupt governor has to go. Uh, I would think that that would be one thing. The problem you guys have, John, is she doesn't want to debate. One debate. No. On, uh, on New York One? No, she won't debate. By the way, they, they, they don't want to mention the word cashless bail because that's what went last year when we worked with the Nassau County Republicans. We elected Ann Donnelly, the district attorney. She came out of nowhere to win landslide, helped win Bruce Blakeman as county executive. Uh, and this year, cashless bail has gotten worse, where Lee Zeldin is going uh, into Queens today to hold a press conference where somebody was pushed in front of the subway tracks and killed. It's every day. And she, Governor Hochul today makes an announcement about catalytic converters. They're doing something to stop the, the spiral of thefts with that. Well, guess what? That that law is covered under cashless bail. You steal somebody's catalytic converter, you don't have to go to jail. You don't have to post bail. They just give you an appearance ticket and let you go. It's like she doesn't want to debate to have to defend this radical law that's causing a, uh, a statewide and, and possibly contributing to the uh, national crime wave that's going on that all the Democrats are suffering from right now. Yeah, which is interesting when it comes to the crime wave. I don't want to talk all about New York, but I want to talk about the country. But Mayor Eric Adams has an interesting approach. It's the Biden approach. What crime wave? Cut 24. We're dealing with actual crimes, those eight uh, homicides, and we're dealing with the perception of fear that people are feeling. That's the combination. And I must deal with that perception and the actual crime. We can't get away from the fact we have 3.5 million people using our subway system. We, We have to be honest about that. And those average of six crimes a day is not giving the impression that our system is out of control. So he said, what's the big deal? They're in denial because it's not just New York, but like I'm also working, full disclosure, Bob Stefanowski in Connecticut. And there was a poll out the other day in the media that has him down six. We have him down four. And what really happened even after those polls were completed, the tragic killing of two police officers in Bristol. There's no respect for the police anymore. It was it was it's unbelievable uh, what these poor police people uh, police people are going through. Where um, and virtually every police union in New York State has endorsed Lee Zeldin because they're doing their jobs and they're being restricted by mm-hmm. these laws that were passed last year. Uh, and you know it's the. the New York City, they don't have qualified immunity for the police. It's, they can't do their jobs. They can't keep us safe. And then you have these crazy laws that they let people go. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, uh, but it's a nationwide problem where 
you know, the Democrats are now trying to run from it, either saying it doesn't happen or they're saying, oh, no, we were really for funding the police. We didn't want to defund them. But it's, it's you know, you have an Oregon, you have a Republican running for governor that's in a dead heat with the Democrat because Portland's out of control. New York's out of control. Um, you know, it, it's it's spreading around the country. You have Ron Johnson ahead in the Senate race in Wisconsin because the lieutenant governor there uh, was in favor of releasing criminals. John Fetterman, who's running for Senate in Pennsylvania, he wanted to let a third of the prisoners go. Kathy Hochul here and, and, and Governor Cuomo before, in the last six years, they have released and paroled 34 cop killers. So it used to be the death penalty. Then it became life without parole meant life without parole. Now, in the last six years in New York, they have paroled 34 cop killers. So what is so, the message? Well, how's that different? So if I told you that a year and a half ago, uh, you know, we got to get more cops in the street. We got to crack down on crime. You say, you say, Brian, it's not the right message. It might be the message we should have, but it's not the right message. And then in uh, July, it was all about the Dobbs decision and abortion. But now it seems as though most people are agreeing that Dem- with the Democrats in full power, no one's happy with inflation, no one's happy with no. crime, and nobody's happy with the border. What did you find in your polling about what the Republican governors were doing? find these illegals to other states like New York, Chicago, and Washington? Uh, they don't blame those governors. They blame Joe Biden. And you're now even seeing the Joe Biden administration say they may, may go back to a Trump policy because President Trump, the border was secure. And by the way, President Trump, is, and, you know, he would beat Joe Biden decisively in a race uh, uh, for president if it was held today, 50 to 44. And he's, uh, and he's the absolute, you know, uh, front runner um, in the Republican field because last month when we had, you know, all 12 candidates that might go in against him, whatever, with him, uh, you had, had uh, uh, he was winning 55 to 18. Ron DeSantis was second place. Third place was Mike Pence at 6%. So those policies that worked, whether it was he was espousing uh, uh, law and order, he was espousing the secure border. You had a growing economy with no inflation. Um, there's a lot of buyer's remorse. And for those of us that are older, it's kind of like when Ronald Reagan lost in 76 and Jimmy Carter was president. And after four years, it was like, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna let Reagan be president now. You're out. You're gone. Except Joe Biden did it in less than two years. He did it in like a year. He's wrecked the economy. He's, he's wrecked our cities. Uh, the, the world, you know, you've got Russia invading Ukraine because the United States is so weak. Uh, we can't deter them. So, uh, um, you know, right now you're seeing a surge among uh, Republicans who are like, and, and also independents who want to vote Republican and common sense Democrats. You're seeing, uh, you know, uh, people who can't wait for the 21 days to come so they can show up at the polls and vote. Here is what Barack Obama said, kind of uh, a little bit trying to say to people, stop with the cancel culture. To, to his credit, he says this all the time. He doesn't understand what the hell happened since he left, but he didn't help it uh, when uh, a lot of things that happened, he could have reined in. But here's what he said yesterday, cut 33. Whenever I got a little too professorial and you know, started when I was behind a podium as opposed to when I was in a crowd, there were times where I'd get, you know, uh, you know sound like I was given a bunch of policy gobbledygook. And that's not how people think about these issues. They, they think about them in terms of, you know, the things that I, I care most deeply about, my family, my kids. Hey, you know, not not being a buzzkill, right? Uh, you <laughs> that's know, a so, lesson for the Democratic. Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes Democrats are right. It's it's like, you know, sometimes people just want to not feel as if 
uh, they are walking on eggshells. And that's really what Democrats have hoisted on the country. And people like Bill Maher and others are, and now I guess the former president, feel the same. What are you guys doing? You, no one's living a perfect game. We're going to be canceling. Uh, we're going to have nobody left. We keep canceling. And you do this political correctness. Right. And, and he's right. He's coming late to the game on saying that. But on the other hand, you know, you see these stories that Google and some of these other companies, the Republican ads aren't running and the Democrat ads are. And somebody's writing the algorithms to this where we're getting suppressed and censored and, you know, he didn't do anything about it. So so he's talking a good game now, and I compliment him for that. But, um, you know, right now a lot of Republicans are finding ways to get out information so that, uh, you know, there is a balanced, you know, uh, what Roger Ailes used to call a fair and balanced view of, of, of the campaigns. So because uh, uh, in 2020 with President Trump, it was one-sided, and we were getting censored and taken off of big tech and, you know, you got it, it's it just shouldn't happen in America. Free speech is a is a is, is something that right. makes the United States extremely unique and special in the world. John uh, John McLaughlin with the CEO and partner of McLaughlin Associates doing a lot of polling. We're advising for political candidates. Uh, John, I don't know if you're capable of doing it, but just uh, from what you've seen in terms of the numbers, do you get the sense that the House is firmly in the Republican side? Yeah, I think it's a, a question of how many seats. And, you know, you can never – people are voting right now, by the way. You, you have a lot of Georgia. absentee early in person. Georgia is going on right now. Insider Advantage has uh, Herschel Walker down to Herschel's campaign, has them internally up to. So, um, you know, the, 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 the voting is going on now, which is why Hochul won't debate in New York against Zeldin. But uh, you have absentee mailings, ballots going out. you got early in person. What, what about Pennsylvania? Like, Pennsylvania, most of the vote comes on election day. What's bad about Pennsylvania is they didn't change their election, that Act 77, their election law, where, you know, ballots can come in after election day. They can be cured, where if something's wrong with it, if it's not a legal ballot, you can fix it. And uh, in Georgia, I work for the House Republican majority and Speaker Rolson. They changed their law where the drop boxes are secure. Um, you, you, have, you still have early in-person voting, but they don't uh, – and they have uh, no-excuse absentees. But they've tightened up the laws that, that we're going we're gonna to see a result that day and not have them go through what they went through uh, in 2020. So a lot of states have fixed the laws. Wisconsin, they right. fixed the law. So, Do you get the uh, sense that Oz has closed the gap further? Do you think? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's going to be that's a close race now, and and you know they're they're going through all the uh, machinations about Fetterman, you know, I, you know, with his health, hopefully he gets better, but he suffered a stroke, and now they're playing games with whether how he debates, whether he you know he gets a teleprompter. He's getting it. He's getting closed captioning. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh you know I, I I remember I worked for Mark Kirk when he won Obama's seat and I didn't work in his re-election but he had suffered a stroke and the Democrats had no mercy on him uh, when he was running for re-election but with Fetterman you know it's a uh, you know he's, he, they ought to they ought to put up fact checks on his record because he's really radical and uh, gotcha. uh, people in Pennsylvania don't want that they they would right. they they, they you know, so it looks like Oz, Oz has the momentum to win that race. All right, John. Thanks so much. Best of luck down the stretch. We'll talk to you again. 
Thank you. You got it. one 408 I'll come back, take your calls. For the next two blocks, you'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do not understand Democrat messaging here. I mean, anyone who's trying to buy anything or build anything knows that prices are sky high. You know, you talk to business owners and they say they feel like it. I, I was just talking to uh, people who have a steel company last week and they said this reminds them of 2008, which was the Great Recession. I don't understand why Democrats aren't saying we feel your pain. We know this is bad when they're saying actually the economy is great. It makes people feel like they can't trust them at all. And that's what they constantly do. Uh, constantly. Uh, the Afghanistan was a great success. Let's focus on the amount of people that we got out in the two weeks in which the whole thing collapsed when you promised it wouldn't. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about how Republicans are to blame for which because they didn't cooperate for the uh, war on cops because they didn't cooperate with the rescue package. Really? The rescue package was block grants to states for the pandemic. And you're saying that that was for cops. There were things that just don't believe your eyes. In fact, on one nation, I was able to put together about 10 examples of this administration. Instead of saying, here's the problem, this is how I'm going to fix it, and then de- then debating on how they're going to fix it, they would deny there's a problem. And then quickly blame other people from Vladimir Putin to now Saudi Arabia. And now what I think is horrible is they're going to get 15 million more barrels out of our strategic oil reserve and put it into the market just to keep prices down when it jeopardizes our security and never was supposed to be used for this. When we come back, I'll be able to take, I promise I'll get to your emails next, but I'll be able to take some calls, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. New whistleblower documents suggesting President Biden was aware and potentially involved in his son's business dealings. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, in a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and David Weiss, the U.S. Attorney for Delaware leading the Hunter Biden investigation, said he has whistleblower records that suggest the FBI has, quote, voluminous and significant evidence related to the potential criminality of Hunter Biden's ventures. So that's kind of interesting that... Senator Grassley wrote a letter to the CIA, the FBI director, and just said, listen, what's going on with this? We got the whistleblowers coming here. I gave you the information. Nothing's happened. He asked Weiss, the, uh, the DA over in uh, Delaware, what's going on? The U.S. attorney looking at this uh, in Delaware. What's happened? He asked, uh, he's asking Garland, what happened? What are you doing? Why are you not investigating this? And I, the answer is obvious. Because it's Democrat, because it's a Biden, because it's bigger than Hunter. But this is so overwhelming that you would think that you've got to act criminally. Uh, you got to take action criminally and just see where this goes. I mean, how do you investigate something for four years and all you have is a few leaks here and there on, on what exactly happened? That's Brooke Singman getting a lot of this new information that was picked up in today's New York Post. So... Uh, that's what's going on with the Hunter Biden situation. But I think that with my big worry is, is that Hunter Biden have no interest in what it, why he was leading the charge in the family business. Uh, I find really intriguing, disturbing, and I cannot believe how long it's taking to get to the bottom of this. So just to give you an idea of how involved this is and what exactly has changed. 
The feds are weighing charges against Hunter's uh, outcome after this two-year investigation. Uh, here's what he said. It is unclear whether the FBI followed normal investigative procedures to determine the truth and ad- uh, accuracy of the information uh, uh, about what's going on here. And here's what the gist, uh, the heart of what Grassley wrote to Garland and Ray. Based on recent protected disclosures in my office, the FBI is, has within its possession significant impact on voluminous evidence and respect to the potential criminal conduct by Hunter. These new whistleblower disclosures, which, by the way, when these guys take over, if they do, in fact, get the Senate House, we're going to see these whistleblowers, I hope. At the very least, you see them, but you just see their outlines, their drop shadows. These new whistleblower disclosures beg the question, in light of the allegation that I have brought to your attention, what have the FBI and Justice Department to include in the U.S. Attorney Weiss done to investigate? Notably, the Justice Department FBI has not disputed the accuracy of the allegations that I have made public. May th- it's been public since May 31st. The Justice Department FBI continued silence in these matters is deafening and further erodes their credibility. Simply put, enough is enough. The Justice Department FBI could come clean to Congress uh, and the American people with respect to the steps they have taken or failed to take. And they go on to say this about what Hunter Biden is up to. And it's, it's something to do, I know you heard this before, Burisma. Grassley said the FBI has a series of documents in his possession related to the information on Mikola Zaleski. Just know this. He's the owner of Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas firm. Hunter sat on their board of that company. Documents in the FBI possession include specific details in respect to conversations by non-government individuals relevant to the criminal conduct of Hunter Biden and possibly James Biden. These documents also indicate that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter's business arrangements and may have been involved, says Grassley. He added, it's unclear whether the FBI followed normal investigations. He also unclear whether the U.S. Attorney Weiss has performed its own due diligence. Joe Biden, the vice president at the time and running U.S.-Ukraine relations and policies for the Obama administration, also pointed to a summary of FBI interviews with Hunter Biden's ex-partner, drumroll please, Tony Bobolinsky in which Bobolinsky stated that Hunter and James Biden created a business arrangement with the foreign nationals that I just mentioned, who were also connected to the Chinese government, while Joe Biden was vice president. So at the very least, how do you say that you're doing your job and not following up on information, not that Republicans gave you? Yes, technically they did, but FBI agents came out and discussed it. And, and the FBI agents had said, we are disgusted by what's taking place. Here's a little bit more about the Russian oligarch. Get this. The former mayor of Moscow's wife, cut 40. We have new leaked emails revealing Hunter Biden's real estate company received millions of dollars from Russian oligarch Yelena Batarina. Now, Hunter's relationship with Batarina, the billionaire widow of a corrupt Moscow mayor, has already been flagged as alarming after she wired $3.5 million to a real estate company linked to Hunter Biden as a consulting fee. So you got Ukraine, you have Russia, you have China, and Bobolinsky says they were working their way towards Brazil. Nice. Brian, you're listening over in Florida. Hey, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I just wanted to uh, see if you knew anything about uh, Chuck Schumer de- declining uh, Trump's offer to fill up the reserve in 2020. No, I did not know that, but we should have done it, and we should be doing it with our own oil, and we should have been done. But the fact is, 
the fact is that they released it 15, another 15 million barrels of oil again just to keep prices somewhat down before the election. All hell is going to break loose after the election. And what concerns me, Brian, thanks for the call, is that the administration is not going to mind that much because it'll hurt them politically. But if you're done with the midterms, hurt or help, it doesn't matter. It's done. And when those prices go up, more and more people will be saying, give me an electric car. And that's what they want, even though the infrastructure is not there. It could probably be turned off forever, even though dealerships saying uh, we can't we don't have enough of them. And even though car companies say we can't make them because we don't have the rare earth. And what's what, why this is all significant today, it relates to the trial, which is now in a jury on Dushenko, the second tier and probably the final one. First one was Michael Sussman found innocent. But if you read the revelations, it just talked about how he really uh, set up this whole investigation in the Russia hoax, even though they said that he wasn't guilty. Everybody knows he's guilty. It was the, the jury at Washington, D.C. But now this one with Dushenko, Igor Dushenko, provided a lot of the information to the Christopher Steele report. And the Steele report, he said, this is hearsay. Steele wrote it as fact. And then Steele was said, listen, we can't go with this. It's hearsay. Can you find out if it's fact? Here's a million dollars. They said no. So some of the revelations already emerged are really beneficial to, to, for people to know how deep the corruption was. But any day, any hour, I think we're going to find it's a relatively simple case whether Dushenko is going to be found guilty or not. Here is Matt Whitaker on the investigation and what is taking so long. Cut 41. They should have had a special counsel look into this or be in charge of this uh, months ago, if not a year ago. Instead, they've kept the Delaware U.S. attorney from the Trump administration in place to do this investigation. But, you know, it just seems like nothing is moving very quickly. We see in other investigations, um, mm-hmm. and many complain on the on the right, that they, you know, those investigations are moving much quicker uh, when they're looking into people like Trump or his associates or others involved uh, in that in that circle. But at the same time, this Hunter Biden investigation just seems to be on, uh, you know, really slowly moving. And and I I think it's time for the FBI and DOJ to do something. Uh, Yeah, uh, but my fear is they're going to say Hunter is uh, you did not declare all his taxes, paid him back. Believe it or not, he had a benefactor pay back millions of dollars in taxes. Crazy, right? Same one who put him up in Malibu. No idea why. Free room and board for a guy that should have had something like $50 million. Where is that money? And then they're going to say that he had a gun and he lied on the form. We fill out the gun when asked if you're addicted to drugs or not. Believe it or not, a drug addict checked no. So they're going to slap him on the wrist and say how bad it was, and then going to give us a few speeches on the need to break addiction. And the president's going to say how, how, how happy he is, and he's going to look more relatable as a parent. That's my worry, because it's not the case. I mean, I'm glad he should tell other people how he got off crack, if indeed he did. But that's a sideline. So let's move on, if we can, and talk about what happened yesterday. Herschel Walker had a town hall with Sean Hannity last night, at which time I think he's fully gotten through all the controversy from two weeks ago when his son came out and ripped him and uh, bills emerged that shows that he may or may not have financed an abortion for a family, for a uh, ex-girlfriend who also is the mother of one of his kids, I think one of his sons. Here's Herschel Walker last night talking about the attacks on him, cut 12. Right now, we must realize that they will say and do anything to retain power. So it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter who they have to go through, they will say and do anything that will retain power. But I told them early, 
they don't know who they mess with right now. Right. God prepared me. God prepared me for this moment right here. And I told him, I said, guys, y'all waking a grizzly bear now. And now you got to fight. And Tim Scott was there and Lindsey Graham was there. And we know that Tom Cotton also campaigned for him. So he's got the Republican heavyweights there. Uh, they believe in him. They like him. It's, impo- it's very hard not to like Herschel Walker if you meet him, hang out with him. Also, don't let anyone tell you he's not bright. He's extremely bright. And there's just no way that he can't handle the job. Uh, you're new to politics. There might be, you know, he might need a, uh, some directions when he gets into the building. He might need some guidance when it comes to procedures. But in terms of the, the issues, that, that stuff, the guy's got it down. And he likes to study. When we come back, I'll do a simulcast on FBN with the great Stuart Varney. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'll get to your call shortly. First, I'm going to do a simulcast on FBN, fastest growing uh, cable station in all the land. And, of course, they're celebrating their big anniversary this uh, this week. They were over at the NASDAQ ringing in the bell there. And Stuart Varney will have me on in a matter of moments. And that which time we're going to talk a little bit more about Hunter, a little bit more about those whistleblowers. And uh, they're talking already impeachment when it comes to if Republicans, in fact, get the House. They're talking about impeachment of President Biden. But let's see where we go. Bang, 1051. And here is Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brian, let's start with this. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik says Republicans could move to impeach Biden next year. I think that's a rotten idea, Brian. I don't think people want another impeachment fiasco. I'm opposed to it. What do you say? I I am, too. And she points out to Saudi Arabia when she said, would you do me a favor if you're going to limit your production of two million barrels a day? Can you do it after the election? At which time they said we brought it up and nothing to do with the election. Saudis came back and said, yeah, it had everything to do with the election. We understand it. And the answer is no. Uh, and, of course, they talk about the Hunter Biden things and what the president could be involved in. But what happens is they vote on partisan lines. The whole country stops for two and a half weeks. And I don't know what any – maybe somebody writes a, a book that a couple of people want to buy. But for the most part, it's a waste of time unless, of course, you yes. have obscene corruption. And I would love to see that cycle of we don't like that person, so let's impeach them. Stop. I mean, exactly. what they did to Trump was just exactly. – it's bad for the country. Yeah, It's bad for the country. We don't want to do it again. Next one. The mayor of New York is downplaying the city's soaring crime. Just watch this for a second. Roll it. We're dealing with actual crimes, those eight uh, homicides, and we're dealing with the perception of fear that people are feeling. That's the combination. And I must deal with that perception and the actual crime. We can't get away from the fact we have 3.5 million people using our subway system. We, We have to be honest about that. And those average of six crimes a day is not giving the impression that our system is out of control. Wait a second. Wait a second. Brian, the, the perception of crime 
comes from all those people being robbed, beaten, stabbed in broad daylight on camera. That's where the perception comes from. That's why we're all afraid. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, walk around within reason. You've got to keep your head in a swivel. If you're going to go down to the subway, you've got to put your back against the walls, no doubt about it. We're not saying everyone's getting thrown on the tracks. But the bottom line is the randomness of the crime, the perpetrators, the, the recidivism that we're seeing, the fact that no one goes to jail, the fact that we're seeing these horrific things happen over and over again, and we're catching them on camera because there are cameras everywhere, because we don't have cops everywhere, have combined to give the people the sense that maybe they shouldn't even bother riding the subway, which is clogging the roads up even more, which they're taking away. But there's no doubt about it. Overall, crime is up in New York 36%. Take, for example, Saturday night, 345 in the morning, 56th Street right up the road from us. They smash into a jewelry store, in and out in three minutes, take 500000 or $750,000 worth of jewelry. We see in Chelsea yesterday, one guy is sitting there, punched a woman, took her baby carriage, held another woman, says, I want a cop to come so I could get killed by a cop. Turns out this guy was arrested 12 previous times. This is what's going on in New York. And what happens is you have to empower the police Get rid of uh, this this immunity. Allow these these cops once again to be immune from legal action against them, and then empower them, pay them a decent wage, and that's Isn't what's going to bring things back. It's obvious. I got to digress for a second. Uh, Rachel Campus Duffy claimed on Fox and Friends, your show, this morning, that I forgot her name during the live town hall yesterday. Brian, I have to say that I did yes. not forget her name. I simply had a senior moment. I, I'm going to side with you Be, because, uh, for the most part, Stuart, it's not a senior moment. When you're doing a live show and you got about, about 200 people there, you're doing a bunch of things and you look over and sometimes you stare at people and you just need a pause. A pause is different from forgetting. And Rachel was so honored you asked her. She just casually mentioned at one point you forgot her name, being that you were tight and that you see each other all the time. Thought it was funny. We did not know at 7 o'clock you were going to actually 640, you were going to storm onto the set <laughs> and then come back in again at 7 and dominate and give us huge ratings right after that. <laughs> but you, your, your live show was excellent yesterday. Thank you very much, Brian. You're far too kind. Oh, Thanks right. for being with us all these years. Yeah, okay, yeah, occasionally. Thanks, Brian. We will see you again real soon. Right. You're going to catch hell on Fox and Friends. Go, yeah. that. go right, get him, Stuart. Thank you. Uh, let's go to John. Listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, John. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Hey, uh, I've got a question for you. As a historian, uh, you you thank you. You know uh, so much about our history, and you know I've heard you say before. Uh, there's always been partisanship between Republicans and Democrats from the time that those two parties even started. Now, my question is this: I am so, like many other Americans, frustrated with all the facts coming out that are just blatantly wrong that Democrats know just as well as the rest of us. And at what point did Democrats stop being Americans and start just playing party politics? It used to be that when something was going wrong, we were all on the same team. Yeah, there'd be, there'd be divisions. But when it came right down to national security and just major issues that were right and wrong, even Democrats would make decisive uh, decisions in the best interest of people as Americans. That seems like it has come to a complete screeching halt. Why do you think that is? There's a few things. I think it goes back to the impeachment of Clinton in terms of why, what it got really personal. 
because they went in for Whitewater. They never trusted the Clintons. They know about their things with their marriage. They couldn't believe he emerged as the president of the United States. He got off to a bad start, but then he was compromising. He was compromising along the way when he lost power in the Senate and the House with Newt Gingrich. But the impeachment weighed, uh, weighed over the Democratic Party, divided that party. They want to have the 2000 controversy. And then afterwards, people thought that Bush was not candid when it comes to the Iraq war, which we know they got 76 votes in the Senate. Everybody was on board for it, but they felt they weren't being candid on that. And then you have Barack Obama, who had 65 percent approval rating within the first few months. And then after that, he does Obamacare on a pure partisan basis. So little by little, divisions kept going. The moderates kept losing elections. And now you have people on the way right and the way left. And when someone breaks the mold like Manchin and Cinema, they become heroes or villains. There used to be a whole bunch in the middle, and they had to be persuaded. We need more persuadables in there. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pierce Morgan, my first guest. Missed my whole open. I can't believe it. But I am his first. I think I'm your first broadcast appointment today, correct? Correct. So I'm honored. You are the right? chosen one. But you'll be on all day. Yes. Because right? <laughs> we're going to work you to death. That's one thing about Fox. Of course. Yeah. Remember, you enter this building, you never leave. Right. But you don't want to. You no, know? of right. course not. Larry Kudlow is at the bottom of the hour, and he, of course, is making a business uh, business news again. He's the number one guy in business, and he uh, came over from CNBC here. You never thought Larry would be successful here. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to start controversy, Pierce, like you. You know what? My view of all these uh, career trajectories is the same as Winston Churchill's. Which is? Which is the definition of success is going from failure to failure with no discernible loss of enthusiasm. Right. And you, Brian, of all people, should know about that. That really hurts my feelings <laughs> because I may be slow, but when it comes to insults, I'm very quick, right? It takes me a while, but not that, not in that way. So, Pierce, it's, it's been great to get to know you and get here uh, and have you on. And the one thing I've learned from interviewing you as opposed to just watching you is that every segment matters. Yeah. Like, you're into every segment. Uh, so, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to join Fox & Friends for a while. I feel as like we, every sentence you thought about, you know, as impact, and that pretty much comes across in your shows. When would when was that a reality with you? I, I think, look, I think to be a good journalist or broadcaster of any kind, you've got to have two things. You've got to have lots of energy and lots of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I'm genuinely curious about issues, about topics, about guests. I want to find things out. I want to learn. Every day I think if you're learning, right. you're having a good day. Because you don't think you know everything. No, well, well. Let's not be too too hasty. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, part of me does, but then I'm also very pleasantly surprised when I do learn things. Right. And that's why I think you should always try and speak to people at least as smart as you are or smarter, present company accepted, obviously. Yeah. Because I think you can always learn from people and you can always change your mind and we shouldn't be afraid to change our minds. What I liked about doing Fox and Friends yesterday was – there we all sat, and we were having a genuine disagreement about Ukraine, for example, and the best way to deal with it. That's healthy in a democracy. The idea that you can't disagree about big issues because you're so tribal in your thinking 
that there's only one way you're allowed to right. think. Whether you're on the left or right, that is a danger zone for me. I don't want to be in either of those radically you know, tribal camps. I want to be in a camp where if somebody persuades me I'm wrong with genuinely good argument, I'm prepared to change my mind. But a lot of it, a lot of the times you make your opinion because you actually talk to the sources. Right. So you wouldn't talk to Zelensky. So you're like, it, it's different. I'm not saying you would have a different opinion, but when you go over there and see the players and see the different. sincerity. It's very different. And what you realized is Zelensky could have left on the first day when the Russians attacked. Like Kahani. He was offered the chance to disappear. And instead, he stayed with his people. He went on a video, which he posted on social media, live addressing his people. And he said, I'm going nowhere until this is won. And I thought that was extraordinarily heroic. This guy used to be in television. You know, he was literally a TV star and TV producer. Suddenly he's a president and it's all going fine. And then within a year and a half, he's at war. And he had to make a calculation. Do I put myself and my family first or do I put the country first? People that put their country before their own safety, to me, are always heroic. Right. And usually victorious when it's your place. Yes. So, And you're seeing right now, no one even... Well, Vladimir Putin told, didn't tell his soldiers what they're about. They have no experience fighting, it turns out. They might be a superpower in nuclear, in nuclear uh, weapons only. And I'll tell you, just my opinion, when you see how they were using 1980s version military equipment, when you see the tanks that they were operating, to see how things weren't kept up to snuff, how they, no one was trained, how generals were forced to lead, what condition do you think their nuclear weapons are in? Well, I think also there's a wider point. The, the nuclear weapon issue... They're supposed to be a deterrent for the countries that have them, a deterrent to other powers to attack them with nuclear weapons because you also have them and therefore it would be wipeout. What Putin has been seizing on is a fragility of mindset, I think, on the West, that all he has to do is rattle his nuclear weapons at us and we run a mile. We don't have the stomach for that kind of conversation. We're afraid of him using his nuclear weapons. We forget that we, and by we I mean you know, NATO, have just as many nuclear weapons as he does. We forget that actually he's almost certainly bluffing. But what he's using, he's using his nuclear weapons now as a protective shield to commit horrendous war crimes and bordering on genocide in Ukraine. He's grabbed 15% of that country. And I would simply say to Americans who are wavering about where the moral line is here, you know, when Saddam Hussein tried to grab Kuwait, America and Britain were straight in there to kick him out because we understood you cannot do that to a sovereign country. What's the difference? What's the moral difference? There's none to me. You know, when people, when dictators attack... They grab the whole country. He grabbed the whole country. Yeah, (laughs) when when people like Putin think they can just help themselves to sovereign democratic countries' land. When I was in Ukraine, and you're right to, to mention this, because when I was there, to a man and woman of all ages, when I said to them, should there be any kind of deal... No, no, no. We don't want Zelensky to give one inch of our land to that, to that monster. And the more people that Putin kills, the harder and more entrenched they get. And I say again, knowing Americans, if, if we British, who once laid claim to your great land, if we decided we, we fancied some Twice. of it back, right? Yeah. We want to come back and we, we want to take 15% of America back because we British used to rule it, right? Okay, well, what would happen? Would you just All say? Would you just say? Look, uh, okay, let's do a deal. Let's do a deal. Let's give. Let's give you Texas. Let's give you Florida. Would you hell? I'll give you a better example, which is more practical. And I believe it was uh, that Hitler that offered it. 
to Mexico, get involved, attack America, and we'll give you Texas and Arizona back and California. So if Mexico was powerful and decided that uh, historically they they deserve to have, since 1845, Texas was part of Mexico, this new country, want it back. And then we should negotiate so they only take 50% back? And some other country should decide what I give back and when I should stop fighting? You would say no across the board. And you have, you have in Putin someone who's creating fake referenda to basically pretend that people in Ukraine have voted to hand their land back to power under the Russians, which we all know is completely bogus. 93% of Ukrainians polled don't want to give an inch to Putin or do any kind of deal. And, and I, you know, I just think in the end... If we let Putin win, if we let him take control of Ukraine or as much of it as he wishes to have, does anyone think he's going to stop there? Once he knows he can know rattle, once he can threaten nuclear war and get what he wants, he'll keep threatening nuclear war and he'll keep taking all the land back, which he thinks Russia was wrong to lose when it was the Soviet Union. He wants to restore the Soviet Union. So I talked to Gary Kasparov on, uh, on right. Saturday night. And he, uh, I, I, his connections in Ukraine as well as Russia are pretty strong, and obviously his passions there. He's worried that the that conservatives, because I haven't really seen much wavering on the left. Although Bernie Sanders has no idea why we're there, but he doesn't want to do anything. Um, he's worried that conservatives are starting to waver because it's because number one, they don't want to get involved in another foreign war. To me, we have no choice I at agree. all. And number number two is. The question is, we have so many doubts about what Vladimir Putin's stability is emotionally and politically, and he believes Russians don't lose a war without losing their government. Mm. So the minute it becomes clear that they can't win this war and nuclear weapons are not even practical because it's going to blow back on them, even tactical weapons yeah. aren't even going to change the complex complexion of the battle, he thinks the whole government's going to fall, at which point Russia's going to break up. That's, that's, the, that's how he sees this thing playing out by the spring. And by the way, that would be in the interests of the world that that happens to Russia. Putin is a very bad man. I'm not even sure that he's mad. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it before. We've seen him do it all around the world. He is somebody that believes he has an entitlement to other people's land. Right. And I'm afraid that is what a dictator believes. And when Adolf Hitler did this in 1939, if the response of the world had been, been actually, we're not going to get involved because he may kill us, well, then he would have taken over the world. Instead, Britain and America together rose up and said, we're not having this. Right. We're going to fight for our freedom and democracy. That's what the Ukrainians are doing. But we, we waited so long we had to fight our way back into Europe. You guys had to escape at Dunkirk for your own, uh, for your own salvation. And then civilian ships famously uh, saved them, brought them back. And you guys kept fighting by yourselves. It took forever. And when you see a Chronicle doing it, a documentary worth its salt is put together. It must have been maddening to be the Brits to say, do you understand what's going on? It's only and maddening if- when, when Americans say, yeah, we won the war, actually. And you're like... You know what? <laughs> Why don't we just agree that we helped each other? Because yeah. we did our bit. You know, Winston Churchill oh, yeah. actually did his bit. And I think it's very important that we I, – I do think the special relationship, as it's, as it's known, I do think it was founded on right. the fact that we both rose together to defeat Hitler. Pierce Morgan here. I'm sure you know that. So, so Pierce, a couple of things. Uh, I believe that free trade agreement's got to be done between our countries. The Brexit that happened seems to have bent the Democrats out of shape, the ones that can figure it out and remember it, because Barack Obama said, don't do it, you go to the back of the queue. Set up that free trade agreement. Why wouldn't that work for President Biden? 78 years old, has to know. That would actually help you guys out and us out. 
and the split off from Bre- uh, the split off from the EU has worked for Britain. Why not help you get the rest well, of the Well, because way? I would say, and I voted against Brexit, I would say there's absolutely no evidence at all that Brexit has worked at all. In fact, the opposite. Now, it's been clouded by the pandemic. It's been clouded by the war in Ukraine, clouded by a lot of upheaval politically at home. But there is, at the moment, no discernible do you benefit. Like being, can, do you like making your own decisions? I do, but I also believe there is uh, power in numbers. You are stronger together. We are the United Kingdom, for example. You now have Scotland wanting to break away. You have Ireland potentially wanting to go back to a United Ireland and break away. Um, you know, I, you could see the breakup of the United Kingdom. I don't agree with that either. I think the United Kingdom is stronger together as the UK. Uh, I think that Europe actually is stronger together. I didn't agree with us breaking away from the European Union. You always had your own banking system, right? Yeah, but yes, we had a lot of independence. This idea that we had no independence, I mean, we had a lot of independence. But the bottom line is the Brexit supporters have got to show tangible benefit. At the moment, there's a lot of negatives. I'm not seeing any benefit. Now, I was very open-minded. When the country voted to Brexit, and it was a big, big vote, you know, 16, 17 million people on both sides. But when they voted to leave, I said, okay, my side lost. My argument was, was defeated. Now let's make it work. I want this to work. Because then the country benefits. I believe that about democracy generally. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins, you want them to succeed, right? right. Um, but if they don't succeed, rather like you're seeing with President Biden right now, you might say, look, if this is in the American national interest, this president succeeds. He's clearly not succeeding. So at what point do you look for a, a, an alternative? I feel the same way about Brexit. Right. So I'm not saying it can't work. I'm not saying it's definitely going to fail. What I am saying is that a few years after we did it, I see no evidence of anything actually working. So I would love to see the U.S. help you through that, through this special trade relationship. But it won't happen because Biden, I think, believes that there is a power from the European Union and he's under a lot of pressure from the French and Germans and others not to make Brexit a success. Because, you know, if Brexit is helped by the Americans to succeed, then, of course, the French and German peoples will say, well, hang on, why is Britain getting all these favors from the Americans? We want to have the same thing. Again, I'm into the special relationship to make that work, and then you guys let them figure it out. I would love love to have it, but I see the danger of us being allowed to have it. I just don't know why Trump hesitated. That's something he could have gotten done right before we left. Uh, Pierce Morgan's here for, unless he storms out, we could have a terrible conversation (laughs) in the break, and he could storm out. But one more segment, and then you can start the rest of your broadcast. All right, don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So Pierce Morgan's here. He's hosted the same Pierce Morgan that goes Pierce Morgan Uncensored. It's on Fox Nation. Uh, and he's going to be filming in New York this week. Pierce, who do you have on tonight? We have the two most infamous pugilists in America, Mike Tyson right. and Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> now, uh, what's your, and they're not on together, are they? No, they're going to be following each other back to back. Now, what is your main question to Mike Tyson? Um, I, I'm actually interested in Tyson. Where he is now is a very interesting place where he's an iconic figure in America. Um, but he's been through so much ups and downs, yeah. highs and lows. Where is he now, Mike Tyson, with himself? 
He's got a cannabis farm that he's now making oh, tons of money well. out. You know, he's getting into fights on planes with people who are abusive Wasn't to him. Wasn't that his fault? With the world's most stupid passages. <laughs> right? I know what I'll do. I'll goad Mike Tyson. Um, I just find him a really fascinating character. I've known him a long time, interviewed him many times. And I, I prefer with Mike to just riff with him than have too big a script. Everyone knows his story. I'm more interested in where he is, what he's got to say, what he cares about right now. You know, Tucker. Tucker, to me, is in England, he's a fascinating sort of figure because he's been sort of polarized as far right by his enemies on the left. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Tucker. I always say that when I watch Tucker's show, I find myself agreeing with about 70% of it every night, um, which is a pretty good ratio for someone like me who's not really a, a right winger. So I, I don't really understand the over-demonization of him. I think he's a compelling contrarian. I think he's a great debater. He loves stirring things up. I do too. I think we're quite similar in that respect. He's worked like I have at CNN and other places, um, and now we're both at Fox together. I, th- I think it'll be a normal right. interview with Tucker where, again, you know, I don't like to have too big a script or plan it too much. It's more like, hey, you're Tucker Carlson. What do you think of the world right now? So is that the way you approach the morning show when yes. you are with four-minute segments and six-minute segments? I used to ignore all those. You would? Yeah. I didn't even look at how long I have for segments. If I, I would take my earpiece out. So how but, would you prepare for a show? I didn't. What about reading the news? I was you always would. reading all day, every day, everything that's, that's happening. What I so I was incredibly across all the news. Watching too? Watching, uh, watching listening, all over social media. So I was very informed, and I would form my own opinions about stuff. But what I really love to do was just freewheel with guests. Get us somebody compelling on, like a Tucker, like a Tyson. And listen. Uh, and listen to them and go with the flow a bit. You know, what are they exercised about rather than you telling them what they should be? So when you wanted to see an end, different landscape, I get it. You replaced Larry King. Yeah. Um, he wasn't too nice about it, right? He wasn't. He said after a month of me being there, uh, he pretended to be happy about a young Brit guy taking his, his prestigious real estate. And then he was asked on a red carpet – about a month into my tenure, what do you think of Piers' show? And he went, you know what? He said, uh, it's like watching my mother-in-law drive my favorite Bentley over a cliff. Wow. And how did um, you pay Well, I was asked by a response a few days later. I went, well, to be fair to Larry, he knows all about mother-in-laws. He's had eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Did anything ever, when you go over there, we know how crazy it is now as more people got in and out and the little success that anyone's really had there. Did that ever shake your confidence? Not really. I mean, I... I I did look. I was there nearly four years uh, having a show that aired three times a day around the world. It was an amazing privilege to sit down with someone. You're making news every day. Yeah. I was interviewing presidents and the biggest stars and whatever. I kind of felt it had run out of steam because I went there to do big interviews and I'd interviewed everybody. Um, I also felt, and we were talking about this in the break, I I felt like I really missed uh, the culture of my own country just to exist in. When you live full-time in another country, as I did for four years in New York and L.A., uh, I really missed going into my local cafe and just talking about English football, soccer. As you, you don't need to hang out with celebrities. You, you like everyday people. I like everyday people, and I like just having a conversation about stuff I care about. Cricket, for example. You ever try to have a conversation about cricket in a, in a New York cafe? Can't do it, it doesn't last, right? So you guys, I would say if I took you, Brian, and put you in London for four years, yeah. you'd be tearing your hair out because you'd want to talk about the New York Knicks or whatever it may be. Except right? I do like soccer. Right. I'm not a big international guy, but I, I, I would definitely dive into the game. It's a cultural thing. Absolutely. And I think you've got to understand that when you live somewhere else for a long time, 
Either you, you either go one way, you never go back, or right. it tugs at your heartstrings. But I'm glad you're at Fox, and I'm glad you're at Period and Fox when we have free snacks. Absolutely. It never happened before. It is fantastic. I used to A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Most of the companies around that time were trying to sell big, expensive cars to rich people. But Henry Ford never thought that that was the market to go after. His strategy was to build and mass-produce cars that ordinary people could drive. Henry wants to improve the lives of everyday people with cars, the way Thomas Edison did with electrical light. Uh, that is the voice of Larry Kudlow, and he's part of a brand uh, of the series that's continuing called American Dynasty. It airs Tuesdays today, nine o'clock Eastern time on the Fox Business Network. Uh, Larry, of course, his shows on every single day at four o'clock, and I'm lucky enough to be on it once a week when they'll have me. Uh, Larry, welcome back. The great Brian Kilmeade. It's my great pleasure. You know, thank you for that. I I, I am a amateur historian. Actually, I guess to some extent we both are. But yep. the guilt, the the so-called Gilded Age, which was about usually defined eighteen seventy to nineteen oh seven or nineteen ten. You know, the liberal historians call them robber barons, and you know the whole idea of the Gilded Age has a negative overtones. Uh, Brian, this was one of the most prolific economic growth periods in American history. I mean, that's why I'm so keen on this. For example, with Henry Ford, he didn't, he didn't want cars for the rich. Henry Ford wanted cars for the middle class. Here's what he did. He gave his assembly line workers a five dollar raise. This was right about 1900, okay? Now, in those days, five bucks was a lot. Well, guess what? The five dollar raise enabled all of his workers to buy Model T Fords. The most brilliant idea. Yep. And all of these people, like Thomas Edison, okay, Thomas Edison invented the electric light. They were buddies. Right. They were. Yes, you're exactly right. Well, Thomas Edison, by the way, invented the telephone. He invented the telegraph. Okay. John D. Rockefeller found oil in Spindletop in western Pennsylvania. Right. They originally used it for kerosene. Then they had so much of it. Then they figured out how to use it and refine it into gasoline to power Henry Ford's cars. I mean, imagine that. Andrew Carnegie invented the Bessemer steel process during this period. The Wright brothers invented the airplane during this period. And meanwhile, the proliferation of railroads across the country, uh, linking all these you know, commercial cities together, that uh, also occurred during this period, the mo- most remarkable period. And the other thing I want to say, Brian, is with, with respect to the so-called Robert Barons, these guys built colleges, universities, libraries, hospitals. I mean, they were unbelievable civic-minded people. And they completely transformed the country into the greatest economic power in the world. 
And these lefty historians will never give him credit, but this is the most remarkable period. Uh, you know, it's pretty amazing, too. I went out and did something on the Ford Museum for Fox Nation on, on the history of Henry Ford and to see what they were yep. able to do and and indefatigable way in which he worked. And the way World War One happens, and he says, hey, how can I help? And when the government saw what his setup was there, they basically ended up, he ends up building tanks, and they end up oh. leaving him the residue of that, and he ends up finishing off his car company. You're exactly right. That's a wonderful thought. It's exactly, exactly right. I mean, these people were among the greatest American entrepreneurs in our country's history. And um, we owe a lot to them for progress. And the thing about it is it was aimed at the middle class. There's this great scene, you know, this stupid TV series, The Gilded Age, which makes them all look bad. But if you go back, there's this great scene when they're, you know, all standing in front of this building and the guy pulls a switch and the electric lights go on. That had never happened before. Electric lights right. lit up an entire building. <laughs> it had never happened before. Think about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's like and when, when those people become rich and successful, I want them to be rich and successful. I want innovators, the ones who come up with the polio vaccines, who comes up with the COVID-19 vaccine, who comes up with a yeah. medicine that allows people to survive AIDS, uh, and they yep. end up make becoming. I want them to be rich because we need these yep. people because they also train other people, they hire other people, they inspire other people to move our country forward ultimately. Um, and just speaking about moving our country forward, Larry, uh, when we when I was doing your show over the summer, there was a sense that the Dobbs decision was going to drive the midterm election, stop the red wave. Have you? Yeah. Uh, did you ever believe that? And what do you believe now? I never believed it. I never believed it. I, you know, I, I saw Paul's, a lot of Paul's asking wrong questions. But what's happened now is, uh, it's ironic. So they passed this Inflation Reduction Act, which was, you know, a fraud. And the inflation numbers in August and September went up. Okay, even though gas prices were falling, the rest of it went up. And uh, real wages continue to fall. So you look at this new round of polls. The Rasmussen reports poll, the New York Times, Siena poll, the New York Times poll, okay? They're now showing Republicans are running away, okay? And it's interesting also, the number one issue by far, Brian, is inflation. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, if you have inflation slash economy, that's uh, like 65%. And you have to go way down the list. Abortion has dropped to like three or four percent. Climate change has dropped to like two or three percent. So what's happened is the country is sick to death of this uh, big government socialism. The economy is in the tank. Inflation is still high. And they're going to vote their pocketbooks. And you're going to have a major two-house sweep, a major two-house sweep. So what I think is also important is, and you do this all the time on your show, is I like people that I can't really figure out what political persuasion they are. Like Jamie Dimon came out last week and said, why weren't we drilling? Uh, and then right. you have other CEOs who you know lean left to say, Mike Bloomberg, who obviously leans left, sees some fundamental problems. Even though he's fundamentally an environmentalist and everything's green to him, he's also practical. He also knew how to fight crime. Listen to Bob Nardelli, who was on uh, Cavuto show yesterday. Yep. 
And here's what he said the reality is, the former CEO of Chrysler and Home Depot, cut for it. The reality is that uh, it's not if we're, in a rec- if, if we're going to have a recession. The latest forecasts I saw is we have 90 years, 90 years of reserves in the ground for natural gas. But let, let me comment a little bit about uh, how, how we got here. Remember, we heard that it was going to be transitory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's from the Secretary of Treasury. That's from the Chairman of the Fed. And then we heard from the Secretary of Transportation that it's possible but not inevitable. Well, that's like standing in front of your house watching a tornado come, and then once it blows it away, you say, oh, well, maybe it was inevitable. He believes it's here. Uh, you saw these uh, these Bloomberg economists, 100% said a recession's here. Do you believe it's here? Yeah, I do. Um, but I, one thing, you mentioned uh, Jamie, who I know very well, Jamie Diamond. I also know Bob Nardelli very well. Um, Jeff Bezos has been attacking the Bidens. The owner of the Washington Post sure. has been attacking the Bidens right through this period. So, Brian, here's the thing. I think we're either in a recession or in the front end of a recession. The decline in GDP in the first half of the year uh, was largely because of uh, the spike of inflation, including, you know, gas and various energy uh, prices, natural gas, electricity, utilities. Um, The tightening by the Fed, which is going to continue, because the inflation rate is basically running about 7%, underlying inflation. We haven't really felt the brunt of that. So there's, you know, it's still in front of us. Now, one caveat. The third quarter, which ended September 30th, yep. uh, I think it's going to be up. Now, the uh, GDP tracker for the Atlanta Fed, which is a pretty good, you know, it takes every number that comes out and filters it in to what the quarterly GDP might look like. They're close to 3%. And you had a pretty good manufacturing number this morning. So you... Now, that's not unusual, by the way. Recessions are interrupted sometimes by, you know, pops up in GDP. So there's that's, you know, that's out there and may confuse the issue even more. Um, the Wall Street Journal survey of economists, you probably saw it over the weekend. They're all saying 2023 next year. And I think that's about right. But my hunch is we've actually started this recession. The soft underbelly has been real wages falling now for 18 straight months. Consumer spending is very, very soft. And um, business prices are business. There's a story in the paper today or the story. I might have been on our website, FBN website. Um, the Bidens accuse corporations of jacking up prices. The fact is uh, companies are paying more for uh, the things they buy than consumers are. Companies actually had a worse inflation. So, you know... And they're not passing it on to consumers yet. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, they're trying to. They've had, I would say, modest success. But when the producer prices are rising faster than the consumer prices, it's a very bad sign. It also suggests a profit decline Profits of the mother's milk of stocks and the lifeblood of the economy. So, I, I, look, I think the economic outlook is very bad. I think it's a stagflationary outlook. And when the Republicans win the Congress, the House and Senate, they're going to be in a crisis. They're going to be in a, not a phony crisis, but a real crisis. 
and the country will want them to act immediately to come up with a program to solve this high inflation, falling economy crisis. I talked to Kevin McCarthy about this at some length on the show last night, and I think he's ready. He's got a lot of good ideas. But um, it's going to be a crisis situation on January 3rd when the GOP takes over. How much, how, how, what do you think, I mean, he's not an economist, he's not, you know, he doesn't have your finance background, but how ready do you think Republicans are to be positive rather than just be a roadblock? Well, I think the House side with this um, commitment to America is pretty darn good because they're hitting on all the high topic points, including inflation and recession, and like getting rid of the IRS. The Senate side, not so much, right? Mitch McConnell fought against a commitment to America or a contract with America. I felt at the time that was a mistake. Rick Scott countered with his own plan, uh, which had a a minor tax law, which he corrected. But here's what I think, that you're going to see efforts by the Republicans through through appropriation bills and reconciliation bills and the Congressional Review Act, which covers regulations, they are going to try to unwind and reverse the Biden damage, which has basically strangled the economy. Now, they only need 51 votes in the Senate to do that. I think they're going to get 51 or 52. But uh, then you go, you know, Biden's going to want to veto this, right? He's going to be stubborn unless he turns out to be Bill Clinton. Uh, But as you and I were talking on our show Friday, he's no Bill Clinton. So in order to overturn a veto, um, it takes two thirds. And I don't think they'll have that. Some Democrats might, you know, put their finger to the wind and see they got to move. But I don't think they'll have uh, whatever, 67 votes. So it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a very difficult session, but it will be a crisis session. And the public will want changes. Biden will resist those changes. So the story may, you know, have to go on till 24. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is, okay, do you want anyone confirmed? Uh, You know, you do some horse trading. How about this? Yeah. And and that's the way our system was set up to be done. If, uh, you know, the president, as we discussed, too, on your show, the president deserves almost no credit for the gun compromise. Almost no credit right. for infrastructure. It was it right. was negotiated. The Senate bubbled up and he signed it. He almost blew it by demanding uh, Bill Back Better be be linked to it. So if they want to work something out and work something out, I mean, maybe we'll get there. I, I would love to see something done, and I'd love to see 87,000 IRS agents' jobs not get fulfilled. We'll see if that could be right. something that could be traded down. Larry, who's going to be on your show at 4? Do you know? Uh, do I know? Yeah, I do know. Kellyanne Conway is going to be on my show and Blake Masters is going to be on my show. And I think that's uh, enough. And plus your monologue, Rick Rick Perry. I'm going to do my monologue on the Gilded Age. And I'm going to suggest that that's the kind of return to free market capitalism that will get this country back going again. That's going to be my riff tonight. The Gilded Age. All right, and always check, check out your radio show, too, on Saturdays on 77 WABC. If you're not in New York, you can get it on stream, right? Yep, you can live stream it on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com. 
We got to get you back on that show. I haven't had you in a right. while, but you 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 do five shows every day. Yeah, I know, but I have appearance fees, Chuck. You don't have much of a budget, Larry. And uh, I, if you want me on weekends, it's going to cost you. You know, you guys are always trying to escape by. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Go get him. I'll make it. A special appeal to John Katz and the TDs. <laughs> yes, if you don't mind. Yeah, I know he's running out of money. So let's get him quick. <laughs> Larry Kudlow, thanks so much. American Dynasty. You're the, best. Uh, the American Dynasty airing tonight at 9. His show is today at 4 and his radio show on Saturdays on 77 WABC. Larry Kudlow, see you soon. Back at a, back at a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Senator Lee, that was the most egregious betrayal of our nation's constitution in its history by a U.S. senator, I believe, and it will be your legacy. Senator Lee is still casting doubt. Please. That was Lee and McMullen. McMullen's within six points. Former Republican gone independent in Utah. Utah, uh, by the way, Mike Lee not getting any help from Mitt Romney, which is terrible. Uh, this, I think it's awful. And McMullen is just a piece. He's like those, uh, you know, he, he's just an anti-Trumper who couldn't take the party anymore, which is fine. But he decides to run as an independent uh, and pretend he's a conservative, most likely caucus with Democrats. But he was referring to the January 6th, and he said for Mike Lee to vote against that. Listen. Mike Lee had nothing to do with January 6th. He said it over and over again, nothing to do with January 6th. He had a problem like other people with some of the things that happened at the election, and he's affiliated with Donald Trump, but he did not act in any way to instigate a crowd to storm the Capitol. In fact, he, like Kevin McCarthy, uh, were basically hiding out and running for their lives, I think, was actually in the building. But that's his best approach. Do the Democrat thing. Do the Liz Cheney thing. Do the Adam Kinzinger thing and try to link a Republican with the worst day uh, affiliated with Donald Trump. Do I really think Donald Trump had anything to do with January 6th? I think if he didn't have the rally, it doesn't happen. That's about it. Uh, meanwhile, thanks so much for listening. Um, don't forget, go to BrianKilme.com. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, November, uh, November 13th, November 12th in Branson, Mississippi. And don't forget, Newark, New Jersey, December 2nd. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.